Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, the fan, Calgary. What's going on? Steinberg and uh, the returning Aaron Vickers with you on a little Sportsnet Today hour on this Tuesday, June 6th. Hi, Vix. I'm a little disappointed Cam didn't have like the applause sound queued up for my that return. guy's been little... gone for a month, Cam, and that's how you treat him? That's, this, that's probably more applause than deserve it. I can do. The smattering of applause. Welcome back, bud. Hey, buddy. What's shaking? Not much. Aaron was... Any, uh, anything changed since I've been gone? No. New GM? We do have a new GM, but you knew that already. Um, could have a new head coach soon. Ooh. More on that coming up on uh, Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. But, um, yeah, welcome back. Vix was over in Riga and then Tampere. Uh, and is now back on this side of the Atlantic. And later on this hour, would love to get into just the, the whole world championship experience. Pull back that curtain. I think a lot of people would love to hear about just what that's all about. And not even just the shenanigans, which I am interested in, but just the entire uh, experience of being at a world championship. But we got lots to dive into around the NHL on this Tuesday. And uh, let's start with that uh, massive three-way deal that we saw between Philadelphia, Columbus, and Los Angeles. Uh, with Ivan Provorov being the main piece that moves, Provorov now a member of the Columbus Blue Jackets. So with all of the uh, three-way trades makes make my head hurt. I, they're very hard to figure out. Um, but here's basically the way that it went down on Tuesday. Columbus ends up with Ivan Provorov, kind of the the main player, the the key player of the deal. And they have essentially replaced Gavrikov, who they lost the deadline. They've brought in Provorov. Okay. Uh, the Flyers, uh, they get all kinds of different things. They get the number 22 overall pick in this year's draft. They also get a Kings second round pick a conditional Blue Jackets second-round pick, along with goaltender Cal Peterson, uh, forward Sean Walker, and prospect Helgi Granz. Uh, the Kings retain 30% of Provorov's salary, get Kevin Connaughton and Hayden Hodson. Uh, that's what it all ends up being. And basically, the Kings end up being a go-between here. Um, and they are the retainee on Provorov's salary, and they're also able to... Um, move out some money with Walker going. And um, so that's the way it ends up looking. It's a complicated deal. I love it though. I'm all for, oh, I'm all oh. for big deals. I don't even know who I like. You're it for. a big I've, deal, buddy. I've been, not, not really. I've been, I've been trying to wrap my head around. Okay. So do, who ends up winning this deal? Who ends up, who ends up coming out on top? I mean, that's a big price Columbus play, paid to bring in Provorov. I think Provorov's a top four defenseman. I think he's a good defenseman. Uh, but I don't think he's a great defenseman. Yeah. But they they gave up a lot to bring him in. Um, yeah, I I I just I like the boldness and I like the creativity and I like the fact that we've got a significant deal in the NHL on this Tuesday. So to a degree, I am going to react like you to this trade, where I don't think Provorov is an elite defenseman. I don't know if he's necessarily a top pair defenseman. He led the Philadelphia Flyers in ice time at a shade over 23 minutes. So the situation with the Flyers dictated that he was a top pairing defenseman. But to me, he never developed into what many thought he would when he was a member of the Brandon Wheat Kings and a first round pick and exploded onto the scene in the NHL and looked like he had that dynamic two-way defenseman upside the the offense never really fully developed into his game 
And so when I'm looking here and seeing what assets are going where, and thankfully you had the uh, courtesy of breaking it down for me on paper so I wouldn't have to wrap my mind around it, I look at it and I go... And I called a, Sean Walker a forward, by the way. I was getting him uh, mixed up. Yeah, he's... A, I was getting Nathan him, Walker? No, the Aussie? I, was, I was getting him mixed up with Trevor Moore, uh, who's oh. the forward. And so, yeah, Sean Walker's the defenseman. Trevor Moore... Oh, if it was Trevor Moore, the Flyers would have walked away with this deal. Obviously, because I'm a huge Trevor Moore fan, but for whatever reason in my head, uh, I got that mixed up. Sean Walker, the defenseman, uh, and, and he goes to Philadelphia. Go back to, so, to what you're saying. I look at it and I go, Philadelphia Flyers got a first, a second, a conditional second, a prospect who was highly ranked at, at FC Hockey in his draft year. Sean Walker, I think, is still a very serviceable defenseman, so I don't necessarily lump him into the cap dump situation. What I do, though, is look at Cal Peterson and his $5 million going back to the Flyers. That's the only element for the Philadelphia Flyers I don't like. To me, this is a slam dunk haul for them. And even sneakily, I like the LA Kings here because... They did retain that 30% on Provorov, but they did move Sean Walker out, so that's almost a and wash there. Peterson and they out. moved Peterson, which so, was essential to what they needed to do this offseason to navigate. So you're talking about $7.65 million on the cap that they were able to move out. Now, not, they don't save all of that because they're retaining 30% on Provorov, but still, that's a good chunk of money that L.A. moved out, which you're wondering, why did the Kings give up a first-round pick. They gave up a first-round pick so that they could move out Cal Peterson and they could they could move forward in that regard. So that's that's why LA's given up the first-round pick. They're not getting anything sexy in this deal. They're getting cap space. And cap space costs money. Or, sorry, cap space costs assets yes. in, in this day and age. And this now allows LA to do some other things. It allows them to potentially chase a return of Gavrikov, which we'll get into. Um, maybe they can think about bringing back Corpusalo. Uh, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see what LA does with their cap space. But yes, uh, they are retaining 2.025. So really, they're still saving almost $6 million yep. on their cap by moving Peterson out and moving Walker out. Well, and how many conversations have we had about the Calgary Flames cap situation? And they're not going to be unlike 20 or 25 other teams with the cap projected to get a modest bump. There are going to be a lot of teams up against it. Well, the Los Angeles Kings just went out and got in front of their cap issues. And you mentioned maybe they go back and, and re-sign Gavrikov. And I know that's something that they were interested in and didn't have the ability to do before that. Maybe they look elsewhere. They still need to address sort of their goaltending situation. So there's a lot of different lanes for the LA Kings. And yes, they give up a first round pick and is what is the best draft in recent memory. I'll just call it that. That's an easy blanket statement to make. But in terms of what they need to navigate for the upcoming season, for a team that has made the playoffs the last couple of years, for a team that wants to get out of the first round, they're certainly in a lot better position today than they were yesterday to construct their roster to go deeper into yes. the playoffs and into the Western Conference. And, and again, like there is the uh, the whole idea of the. And by the way, the, it's not a first round pick that they're giving. The first round pick went in the uh, initial Gavrikov deal, Corpusalo, um, and that's now Philadelphia's. Uh, in the Gavrikov Corpusalo yep. deal, the second round pick is what they're moving out to uh, to to retain the to to. Facilitate. Facilitate the cap space. See, it's a very confusing deal. The first round pick was already in play, and Columbus moved that pick to Philadelphia, but it was originally LA's pick. Yes. The second round pick, which is also acquired by Philadelphia, is what LA is get, giving up to 
facilitate the cap space. So uh, the LA Kings have given up a first round pick and a second round pick that have both ended up in Philadelphia, but one of those picks went to Philadelphia via Columbus, Columbus, which was made back in the the March trade deadline deal. So again, there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces. These damn three way deals uh, get very very confusing for small brains like mine. But that's that's the way it ends up looking. So L A doesn't get anything sexy, but they are getting the cap space. Philadelphia gets the hall of picks, including two second rounders and a first round pick. Um, and Columbus is getting the best player in the deal in Ivan Provorov with 30% salary retained. So I, I, I like the deal, to, to be honest with you, as we break it down and we kick it around, I like the deal most from Philadelphia's standpoint for two reasons. I like the haul they're getting, but more importantly, for Danny Briere and Keith Jones, the, the new head honchos in hockey ops, Briere is the GM and Keith Jones is the new president. I just like what this move signifies for Philadelphia. Them continuing to wander around in the, are we okay? Are we bad? Are we good? Are we in? Are we in? Are we out? Like, you don't want to be that team that is perpetually in the middle, not good enough to win a Stanley Cup, or sometimes make the playoffs, not bad enough to fall completely out of it. So I, I like what this move signifies for Philadelphia. For me, it signifies that they're ready to go in a slightly different direction here, and that's important as they just got three top 64 picks um, in, in this move, which I, which I quite like, and they've retained some they, – they've, they've brought in some not-so-sexy-looking contracts on top of that, which, again, signifies that maybe they're ready to – go in a different direction. The only thing, the only strike against this deal for Philadelphia, if I can even call that, call it that, is the Kings second round pick is in 2024 and the Columbus second round pick is in 2024 or 2025. So those have been kicked a year potentially yes. too. In a very deep draft, they're not I, It would be preferable yeah. to have them in 2023, but that doesn't always happen. As, as a receiving GM in a trade, you don't necessarily get to dictate 100% what the assets are coming back. What I'm curious about now is how this sets up the summer for the Philadelphia Flyers yes. as well, because I can't imagine this is a one-off deal. I feel like this is a domino effect where Provorov goes, and then they start looking down their roster and going, what can we fetch for this guy? What can we get for that guy? So on and so forth, because nobody should be untouchable in Philadelphia right now. And I think this move, again, the guy that led the team in ice time, the guy that's their quote-unquote number one defenseman at this stage, whether he's a true number one or if he's just a, a top four defenseman, Regardless of that fact, they moved out a key player, and he's not going to be the only one, in my opinion. Well, there have been rumblings on social media that Carter Hart might be next and that he might be a guy that moves out. Now, there has been nothing since that initial report a number of hours ago on this Tuesday, but Carter Hart has one year left on his deal before he is an RFA and eligible for arbitration. He's had an up-and-down last number of years in Philadelphia, but I don't think anybody... Um, I don't think anybody believes that Carter Hart isn't a good goaltending prospect. I think that we still believe there's a lot of ability there. He's still only 24 years old. He'll be 25 when next season starts. And he has started to get back closer to the heart that we saw when he burst onto the scene this year on a bad Philly team. Was a 907, which isn't what you're looking for, but... He's certainly started to rebound after the nightmare year that he had. Uh, those two years, 1920, where things fell off the rails, and then definitely 2021 in the 56-game season, it was, it was really, really tough for him. So 
I, I, I'm curious if the heart stuff picks up any steam and do we end up seeing him end up being part of a deal somewhere else? A lot of talk about Travis Konechny over the last number of years. Is he a guy that can be moved out? A lot of talk about Kevin Hayes over the last number of years. Is he a guy that would draw interest? Like, so there, to your point, I like what it signifies for Philadelphia and what comes next for the Flyers after they've made this deal. I'm very curious about Carter Hart because for the longest time, he was the heir apparent to Canada's crease at international competitions, including the Olympics. He went to one or two world championships for Canada. But then you look back at the deal made today and you go, is Cal Peterson a reclamation project? You're paying him a lot of money. He's going to be an NHLer. I don't think the Philadelphia Flyers are going to stash him in the AHL like the Los Angeles Kings had to do out of necessity because they had goaltending that just wasn't working prior, well, all season long until the acquisition of Corpus Allo. But does Cal Peterson going to the Flyers increase the odds of moving Carter Hart? And Carter Hart is an asset right now that I don't want to necessarily say he's at his peak because he needs another rebound season before he gets there, I would suggest. But... If you move him out and you're on a rebuilding team, this move to me signifies a rebuild for the Philadelphia Flyers. Right. Do you want to waste Carter Hart's years or do you want to flip him for better assets and then see if a reclamation project like Cal Peterson or see what you have in Felix Sandstrom as a backup, see if he can take more of a workload. He played 20 games as a rookie this season. I think that by acquiring Cal Peterson, by dangling Carter Hart out there and seeing what you can get, you're trying to maximize your returns as the Philadelphia Flyers because, again, you're being looking at picks and prospects and freeing up salary, maybe trying to facilitate some deals cap-wise moving forward if you have the flexibility in order to gain more assets. To me, this is just the start of tossing assets out on the market, seeing what you can get. If there's a fit, then you continue to move in this direction. Well, and as of right now, in one of the deepest drafts in a long time, Philadelphia has the 7th and 22nd overall selections in the first round. So if they, and, and if you move a heart or if you move a connect all of a sudden now, maybe you're acquiring more draft capital and maybe some of that is in this year's 2023 draft. And that's a good way. If you hit, if you hit on seven and if you hit on 22 and this draft is as good as people suggest it's going to be, the next thing you know, you've kick-started a rebuild and maybe maybe you've accelerated it by a year or two just by the quality of player you get in the first round. And if you add another one in there, well, next thing you know, Philadelphia could be right back on track to being where they want to be in three or four years as opposed to it being five or six years. Let me float this by you, and if it happens on draft day, you can run the clip. If it doesn't, we can bury it and burn it. But to me, there is a distinct ledge after five in this draft. You move seven and twenty-two to get to five and take Will Smith. You're a very, very happy GM, and that's the core. I think you would in this because I mean, no disrespect to Zach Benson, who's probably the consensus number six. But you're getting to seven. Maybe you're looking at one of the defensemen. There's a possibility in that. But if you want one of the top five players in this draft, it's going to cost you to move up and something like that. That scenario, I could see happening again. Burn this if it doesn't happen. If it does happen. Roll it back, and I'll be GM yeah, yeah, we'll, for a day. We'll just, we'll just forget if it doesn't happen, but we'll definitely give you Because that's how it works, it. right? Exactly. Um, I'm also interested in what this... I, it's very clear what LA is doing. I don't think there's any questions about what LA is doing. They're going to use this cap space, the, the five-plus million dollars they freed up to take a run at re-signing Gavrikov. Maybe that'll help them in bringing back Corpus Salo if that's something they want to do. But 
The other interesting part is what does this signify for Columbus? Because they just traded away a first-round pick that they acquired in a blockbuster deal at the deadline. Does this mean that Columbus is open for business in other ways in that are they looking to get much better for next year? Last year was a nightmare for them. They made this dream signing of Johnny Gaudreau, and it did nothing for them. They were one of the worst teams in the NHL, and we know that they would like, I, I think the clock is ticking on Kekalainen. I think that they're like, okay, we need to do something here. And, and those years under torts were great and they won the series against Tampa and it was, it was, but it's like, okay, we, we need to be relevant and we can't be this team that is one of the worst teams in the NHL year after year after year. They don't want to waste the next six years of Johnny Gaudreau and the coup that they pulled off by signing him. So does this signify that they are open for business with other things. They've already traded away a first-round pick in this deal. Are they willing to move number three? I still don't think that they will. Are they willing to move first-round picks next year or the year after? Are there things that they would be willing to do to give themselves a bump up the standings that maybe we weren't even thinking about going into this offseason? I almost, I don't want to call it a panic move, but I think the signing of Johnny Goudreau, not the player himself, he's an elite player, but the idea of bringing him in at this stage of their rebuild is throwing them off course a little bit because they might have the best collection of under 22 players in the NHL. Stanislav Fosel on defense, uh, Denton Matejchuk on defense, David Yurichek on defense, you got Kent Johnson, um, Kirill Marchenko, Cole Sillinger. You have a high first round pick in this draft. Again, you gave up a first round pick in this deal. The rebuild was moving in the right direction. Now suddenly you're selling off a few younger assets to make sure you you're more in win now mode. And I don't necessarily think that's the right approach for a team that just kind of entered the idea of rebuilding yeah. in the last two years. Yeah. And to me, it screams, we need to win now. Um, Signing Johnny Gaudreau probably excel. Well, thought they thought maybe it would accelerate the rebuild. Well, now they're fully in on trying to excel accelerate that. I don't know why that's such a hard word for me to say. Maybe it's because I haven't spoken in the last four weeks. Yeah, but to me, I don't know if it necessarily set them on the course. I think they diverted course when they signed Johnny Gaudreau. I don't think necessarily they should have, but I understand the pressure of paying a guy almost ten million dollars and you finishing where you do in the standings. There's an expectation. This GM's been in Columbus for quite some time now. There's an expectation that you're moving forward and progressing. I think they have. I just don't think it's going to be fast enough for their liking. Again, with this rebuild, they are absolutely stacked. But now you're starting to sell off ass. I'll be curious to see if there's a couple more that go in order to facilitate this happening faster. But again, I don't necessarily think it's the right move. But I understand the pressures of being a GM. I understand the pressures of having and to win. And I think win. that's it. I think and I think that's the result of this deal. And I think I think that's exactly why people are wondering if this is what we're going to like. They they need to be better down the middle. They need a they they need somebody that can give them. I, I, very rarely do you go acquire a bona fide number one center, but they need somebody who can be in that mix. It's why Flames fans have targeted Columbus as an interesting landing spot for Elias Lindholm. Now I don't know if that makes sense because I don't know if Lindholm would have any interest in signing there beyond this beyond this season and the one year left on his deal. But I get why that's a place that a lot of Flames fans have gone because that's an area of need for them. I'll read you a few texts at 960-960. This says Keith Jones was on the Merrick Show Monday, said they're in rebuild mode. 
this trade would certainly um, fall that under up. that yeah. category. Uh, this says, as a Flyers fan in Calgary, I'll die if I see Carter Hart go to the Oilers. Don't, don't do that. Don't die. Uh, this from Matt and Cochran, Kevin Hayes to Columbus to reunite with Johnny, like we thought was going to happen in Philadelphia. Hayes has got a few years left on his deal that pays him just over $7 million. And if Philadelphia is serious about rebuilding, they might even eat some of that salary. Uh, they got three years left on Hayes' deal. He's 31 years old. Oof. Could absolutely see them perhaps eating some of that to facilitate a deal, especially if it brings him back some nice pieces as well. I don't, I don't know if Philly's all that worried about the cap if they're rebuilding. You're trying to maximize players, so curious to see if that's something that we see as well. Um, Pat Vickers, Sportsnet today, um, leading up to Flames Talk a little bit later on on this Tuesday. But before we uh, before we go anywhere else, before we dive in on the Stanley Cup Finals and what we've seen so far, I got to uh, I got to ask Vix about the World Uh-oh. Championship. You uh, so you got back on Friday, correct? You were there for essentially the entire month of May, a little bit less than the entire month away. What, but three and a half weeks when it was all said and done. I think I left May fifth, May sixth, somewhere in there. Enjoyed a few days in Riga prior to the tournament actually starting, and then got back June second. So almost a calendar month. Yeah. Okay. So almost calendar month in Europe. You were in Riga, which is what nine hours. Uh, nine hour hours day. ahead. Yes. And yes. then Finland eight hours ahead. Right. Or no, they're it, still the, nine. They're still okay. nine. Yeah. Which made the uh, adjustment back to North American time. Well, Mountain time, I guess, not North American time. You idiot. Um, made the adjustment a little tricky, but we powered through, avoided some jet lag. Uh, here we are. So what, uh, let's start in, uh, Riga. So you covered Canada started in Riga. Yes. Um, so you got to catch up with the Canadian with the trio. team and the flames trio and all that type of stuff. Thank you, by the way, for the stuff you brought sent back. We used every single bit of it. Flames talk um, international correspondent. We loved it. But uh, tell us about Riga, Latvia, a spot that I bet very few people listening right now have been. It is completely underrated as a destination to just go hang and chill and see some things. It uh, it grew on me. It didn't immediately have the charm. But once you explore and once you hang out and you meet some people and, and you see some of the sights, it really grew. And, and Latvians, as hockey fans, as I'm sure you're all aware at this point, absolutely nuts, bananas. Um, being in, I can't remember the official title of the square where they held the the celebration for the bronze medal, but it is. Were you there? Like, had you been? I to had that been square? in that square. Okay, I know you weren't there for the celebration. To, to but... paint the the picture of what that square means to to Latvia as a whole, there were multiple police officers and security officers there twenty four seven. Didn't matter if I walked through at two in the afternoon or four in the morning. Thanks to a few too many beverages. There was always somebody there making sure nothing got out of hand in that place. And when I say that, I mean, there could have been five people. There could have been 25 people, 30 people. Didn't matter. When they won bronze, there was over 100,000 people piled into that square. Riga has a population of roughly somewhere around 500,000. That means one in every five people in that city were in that square to celebrate. That's what that bronze medal meant to the country. And it's bronze. It's not gold. It was their first ever medal at the tournament. might have been their first international medal in team sports. I, I don't know exactly the facts behind it. Yep. But that place went nuts, and it just speaks to the passion they have and the, the personality that they have. They are absolutely infectious. And I would go back to Riga without hockey. Like it, it is a spot that I encourage you and the listeners to check out just as tourists because it's amazing. Well, and it's neat. Like It's kind of Northeast Europe. Yep. So, uh, and, and, and it's, uh, is, it, is Riga on water? 
or is it a little removed from water? I believe it's a little removed. Okay. I know that there's a river that runs through it. I've walked the, uh, not necessarily the shores, but the uh, the concrete paved walk that they have by it. I've done that. Uh, explored Old Town. I mean... It looks, and it's just barely... Now, I do believe that... No, maybe there is. Maybe I just, just didn't get that far. barely off the water, or if it is the... Because there was an like, island I was encouraged to go visit that I never did. It's close. It's close okay. to the river. Uh, sorry, close to the water. Um, but I appreciate not, the geography lesson of, as to where I just was. I'm, I'm fa- So now, having the, the furthest east I've been in Europe is Berlin... And, you know, the east side of Berlin, because of, of its history, yeah. there's a lot of Soviet influence. And you can tell the difference in architecture from the east side of Berlin to the west side of Berlin. It's super, super interesting. And, and the history of it. So could you tell the Soviet influence in Riga? Like it could, Not could as much tell? as I expected no? to at all, to be perfectly honest. Because and, and, it was Soviet Union for almost five decades, yeah. I think. And that even extends to Finland to a certain degree, because Finland, by proximity of where the USSR was... Um, so I, I don't remember if it was Soviet or just Russian history back, back in the day had control over Finland. Oh yeah. So like, I was, um, I was very curious. Yeah. 1900s and world. Well, War they only II, became an independent yeah. state in 1907. Yeah. I believe it was. And there's a long, me. there's a long history of Finland and Russia. Not, yes. Not um, the greatest relation. So from my expert architectural eye, I didn't quite get that in either spot. Um, but it's still beautiful and, oh, I just. I love going in with zero expectations to a place you haven't been and just wandering around and observing and seeing. And to me, it was, it was okay as a sightseeing destination. Riga? Yeah. But the vibe of the people and, you know, you sit down at a bar by yourself and you make friends with a bartender or two along the way, shout out Armory Bar in Riga, Latvia, go check it out. Um, And you just interact with locals and it's just the vibe that they put forth is incredible. Okay, now Finland on to uh it was the main host. Yes. It hosted the medal rounds, the gold medal games, so on and so forth. Tell us about it. So it was Tampere where they were is that how am I saying it right? Tampere, Tampere, okay. depends. I've heard both. So while that there. was that was where the tournament was being held on the Finnish side. Tell us about that. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is introduce the listeners to long drink. Okay. Because it is the Alcoholic beverage of choice, if I can. It's unavailable on this side. What is it? It is a gin and I believe grapefruit juice, but a sparkling grapefruit juice. And I was made because Helsinki hosted the Olympics and I believe either 52 or 56. Okay. And it was manufactured for the Olympics. They wanted a cheap drink that everybody could consume. Well, everybody of age. Actually, I don't know what the legal li- the legal age was back then, but... 1952 they w- Summer Olympics. There we go. And so they developed this. It became such a hit. It's now the national drink, it seems. Uh, delicious. I suggest you all try it when you go there. Okay. So that's from that perspective. From an atmospheric perspective in the rink, I was a little disappointed in Finland. I'm not going to lie. And, Latvia better? Oh, 100%. Okay. And that stems from what I'm told to the fact that they sold all the bottom row to corporations. The lower ah, bowl was okay. all corporate for the most part. And it wasn't cheap. And so you get into the to the upper bowl. It's two bowls. The upper bowls, family wants to attend. You're looking at somewhere 150 euros a ticket. That's expensive for families. So I think to a degree, the buzz and the energy of, of just citizens was lost there. So that part was a little disappointing. Having said that, the Hungarians brought it. There was one section of Hungarians for every game that they had. And they were incredible. They, oof, I don't want to say they trumped the Latvian crew, but... 
by size, they would have held their own in that atmosphere. And of course they didn't win a single game and they got relegated, unfortunately, but after every, every game they would ri- Well, they don't sit so that they don't rise. They stand the entire time. They have one guy orchestrating chance throughout the game, depending on scenario. And then at the end of the game, they would stand and sing the national anthem back to the players because, of course, after every game, the national anthem of the winning team plays, but not the losing team. Right. So after that's done, they would sing to their players the national anthem. And, and just I, I kind of moved a lot closer to that section just so I could kind of observe from their point of view them singing the anthem after the game. And it went to a shootout. Had they won in a shootout in their final game, they would have avoided relegation. They lost to Austria. So they have to go back to Division 1A. Okay. But their enthusiasm and their pride that they had for their team is something that won't leave me. It was incredible. Now, okay, go ahead. Just keep going. Now, from a vacation standpoint, Helsinki is where you want to be. Okay. You don't necessarily need to go up into the country and go to Tampere, go to Helsinki. Again, it's architecture. I was a little disappointed by it until I got to some of the new modern buildings that they have. And now contrast their older buildings with their new buildings. Their new buildings are top of the line, state of the art. It is incredible what they've done with a modern spin in a country that has so much history, in a city that has so much history. It's worth just walking around and exploring because every so often you'll come across a building, whether it be new or old, where you stop and take a picture and you just kind of absorb what it is because that part is fantastic. So you, uh, just as we uh, start to wrap up, we're talking to Aaron Vickers about his time at the World Championship, and I'm just fascinated by it. And not the, you know, the media stuff I'll talk about with off the air. You don't need to hear about mixed zones and stuff like that. Um, but Well, I will say this. It's the best place to ever do an interview. Yeah? For probably 75% to 80% of the tournament because the players are so laid back. I'm the North American media contingent at these events. That's it. So you've got players at their most absolute relaxed. You've got players that you can joke around with. You can just talk with. And not that we can't do that in the dressing room, particularly thinking of the Calgary Flames. But it's just a different environment for these players because typically things are going well. The further you progress in the tournament, means you're winning. It means you're rolling. Things are going great. Yeah. But also just from a communication standpoint, their media obligation is try to make it through the mix zone as fast as you can. And then they'll see me at the end and stop because that's where I parked just to disappoint them just a little bit. They're so close to just getting back to the room and being with the teammates. They got to stop and talk to me, but it is where you'll have some of the most candid conversations, some of the most lighthearted conversations. You can ask a player, Hey, tell me about this guy. And 80% of the time that player is just going to roast the other player, like just poke fun at him, just needle him, what have you. You can stop two players at the same time and almost have them go back and forth. It's incredible. It's my favorite place to do an interview. Uh, so you have this was your fourth world championship or third? Fourth. So you did Cologne and Paris. Yes, I was the first. Bratislava. I think I think it was Copenhagen before oh, Bratislava. Copen- yeah, Copenhagen, Bratislava. Then, then it didn't one. happen because of COVID. Then the year after that, it was all remote. Yeah, so I didn't bother. Atten- there's no there's no point in attending. Last year and then last year the was round. the same. Last year was the same setup with Tampere and Riga. Riga. And then back to it this year. And what is next year? Oh wow. Oh, Prague. Prague and Ostrava. Oh, back to Prague and Ostrava. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that might be fun. I mean, it, it all it's all contingent on what the Calgary Flames do yes. in the regular season and playoffs. Not a bad consolation prize, though. Yep. And I messaged you in 2027, Germany. 
Yeah, I just saw saying. that. I saw that. Just saying. Uh, he's Aaron Vickers. My name is Pat Steinberg. A little Sportsnet Today action for you. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Wet basement. They have a lasting solution to keep your basement dry. If you experience any water in your basement, contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Uh, Vegas, 2-0 series lead in the Stanley Cup final. We'll break down game two. Some of the antics of Matthew Kachuk and a whole lot more when we come back as Sportsnet Today continues in Flames Talk at the top of the hour. Jays Astros at 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Well, Tuesday edition of uh, some Sportsnet Today with Steinberg and Aaron Vickers. Uh, Vegas up two games tonight in the Stanley Cup Final. Lots to dive into. I know that both games have ended up being lopsided scores. Overall, the combined score of the series is 12-4 in favor of Vegas. But I'm telling you, and it may, maybe you maybe you disagree if you're listening right now. Maybe you disagree. I, like, it has been a far closer series than the scores would suggest. Where it hasn't been close is in net. And for the first time since Sergei Bobrovsky took over in the Boston series, He's been the second best goaltender for most of 120 minutes. Uh, like Bobrovsky, a lot of people were predicting. I think about I must have seen the euphemism about Bobrovsky's going to turn into a pumpkin um, <laughs> going into this Strikes series. I, I I I saw that multiple times going into this series, and he's kind of looked it. I didn't think he was bad in game one, but he was outplayed by Aiden Hill. And I did not, he got pulled, and I thought rightfully so against Vegas in game two. And Alex, uh, Alex Leon came in, uh, Alex Lyon came in rather. And yeah, I just, that's been the area that hasn't been close. The actual five on five play, it has not been, at least the way I've seen it, has not been super slanted. But Vegas is getting high end goaltending from Aiden Hill. He has been great. And at best, Florida has gotten okay goaltending and sometimes below that. Not bad for a, a little bit of a cast off from the San Jose Sharks. Hey, just a little bit of an afterthought Gave being up a sent away. Round pick for them. Like think about some of the the players that are making impacts. You know, Michael Amadio is not a massive impact maker, but he scored a couple of big goals. They claimed him off waivers. Chandler Stevenson's been one of their most important players. They got him for a fifth. Aiden Hill is their goaltender. They got him for a fourth last summer. I, and and well, we and even if you want to go back way back. Marchessault was a throw-in. It was a sweetener to take uh, Riley Smith. Because they didn't want him to take Petrovic. Alex Petrovic. Alex Alec. Alex Petrovic. Yes. I mean, oops. Coming back to haunt them a little bit right now, isn't it? Uh, but to get this back on the goaltending, are we also done talking about that game one save? Like, I'm sure you beat it to death a little bit, but that paddle save? We barely talked about it, but it was 1-1 midway through or early in the second period? Yeah. Who knows? Like that's going to be the highlight of the Stanley Cup final. I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find something that's going to top a save like that. Maybe some, you know, maybe it goes seven and he does it again. But that is one of those moments that when they replay round by round, what happens? That's going to be the marquee one of the 100%. Stanley Cup final. Well, and I just I don't because it's been a five two and a seven two win so far for uh, for Vegas. I don't know if Aiden Hill's getting enough credit for how well he's played. He has been outstanding. And and not just the highlight reel saves, and, and you're right, that one probably will end up being the highlight of the cup final, especially if Vegas goes on to win here. But 
He's just been so dialed and so well positioned and so in control that he kind of looks like Bobrovsky looked against Carolina or Bobrovsky looked against Toronto, where you're like, geez, everything he does, he makes it look easy. That's what we're seeing right now from Aiden Hill. So, yes, they've been lopsided games, which I think kind of doesn't tell the whole story of how well the goaltending has been or how good the goaltending's been, rather, from Vegas' standpoint. Hill's been one of their two or three best players in the first two games. Okay, well, let me run you run this by you because right now Aiden Hill in his 13 games has a 937 save percentage. Coming into the Stanley Cup final, Bobrovsky had a 935. If I had asked you prior to game one, which goalie would you think would be the candidate to crack first? Which route would you have gone? Because I would have went Hill. Probably Hill. Of all those people on Twitter and the the turning into a pumpkin had me had me very, very interested. I would have went for all his struggles, I would have went Bobrovsky's found it and he can ride this out. Hill's gonna crack. He's not battle tested, he'll crack under pressure. No, it's been the exact opposite way. Now, he's only got an eight twenty six Bobrovsky through these two games. Yep. Got pulled as you mentioned. I don't mind pulling him. Refresh him, the right call. Give him a little bit of a mental reset. But in the highlights that I've watched and going back and watching the goals, and there's certainly no shortage of them from a Vegas perspective, the team in front of Bobrovsky has looked at it like a bit of a tire fire at times. They're leaving guys open. They're not taking guys. They're giving guys slot chances. And yes, Sergei Bobrovsky is not unlike the situation for the Calgary Flames for, for a comparison with Jacob Markstrom at times. Giving up prime scoring opportunities, but he's also not helping himself either. So this will be very curious to see, for me, how Bobrovsky rebounds after being pulled, rebounds with a team down 2 nothing because I think 90% of the time, the team that goes up 2 nothing in the Stanley Cup final goes on to win it, and I think it's something like 92 or 93%. They win those first two games on home ice. The Florida Panthers certainly have an uphill battle. If they want to have a chance at all, Sergey Bobrovsky needs to yep. be the 935 guy, not the 826 guy. And he's going right back in for Thursday night in Game 3. As there's he no, should. There's no doubt about it. As he should. I agree. Um, the, the, the Florida Panthers need Matthew Kachuk to be dialed in again. Yep. And, and it's not like, I'm not saying that Matthew Kachuk is not invested. Of course he is. But right now, through the first two games, Matthew Kachuk is bordering on the unhinged and he's bordering on the Matthew Kachuk that we saw completely lose composure and thus make him nowhere near as effective the elite hockey player he can be in the Dallas series last year. John Klingberg might have got his clock cleaned three or four times by him, but in that individual battle, Klingberg won because he got under Matthew's skin. And luckily for the Flames, they won Game 7, and Matthew was a big part of the Game 7 win with the big goal he scored because it felt like maybe he got things back on track then the Oilers series was a completely different story. But they they can't have Matthew distracted. They can't have Matthew worrying about extracurricular stuff. I don't think everything that he has gotten a 10-minute misconduct for, he's 100% deserved. Well, he's, he's earned them by reputation. He's And I also think there's been a little bit of trying to keep games management. under control, yep. ref management going on. But they need Matthew Kachuk to be the Con Smythe guy. They don't, they don't need going out of his way to get under the skin Matthew Kachuk. They Matthew Kachuk is very good at that and he does so naturally. 
but it's when he goes out of his way to do it, yeah. and that becomes a focus that the rest of his high-end game takes a hit. They need him to be the elite hockey player that he was through the first three rounds, and they need him to really focus on just that. He needs to be the 75% player, 25% agitator, and he's the 75% yeah. agitator and 25% player right now. And to be honest, I, I agree with the sort of management, game management situation with a couple of the misconducts. Because if it's a one-goal game and not a four-goal game or a five-goal game, I don't know if he's going to be sitting. But again, he's some of the extracurriculars probably aren't happening if the score is tight. At the same time, I get it. And, and yeah, you're right to parallel it back to his time with the Calgary Flames, and particularly that series against the Dallas Stars, where he was probably too concerned about making a ruckus, causing a stir, and getting in the heads of the opposition. Well, there's more than one way to get in the heads. And he, he did it through three rounds. You go out, you produce, you score... And then you layer on top that wrinkle of, I hate this guy. But that can't come first. The playing has to come first. And I'm, I have no doubts he'll get back to that. Uh, I had no problem with that hit he laid on. No. That was just us. And I know Textbook there was, and beauty. There, there was head contact. I get that. But that's because Eichel stumbled as the hit was being thrown. Eichel doesn't stumble. That is a textbook shoulder to the solar plexus perfect hit. A flurry to the solar plexus. That was an like that was a textbook open ice hit. I loved it. I'm glad there was nothing. I mean, yeah, there was a fracas that came from it, but I'm glad there's nothing coming from it after the fact because there shouldn't be. Um, last thing I'll say, I just I know that Vegas has dom- dominated on the scoreboard through two games. Just I'm not quite ready to count out Florida, knowing how close I've seen the games to this point, and. Going back home, knowing what they did in round one against Boston, I'm just not ready to wave the flag on the Panthers quite yet. Well, and they're in the Stanley Cup final for a reason, and they've taken down several good teams in the process of getting there. They're the number eight seed. They snuck in on, what, the last day? And they managed to parlay that emotion, that feeling of playing basically playoff hockey for a couple of months. So there's two sides of that coin. You wonder if that's been wearing on them a little bit as they get further and further, and now they're almost to the end goal. And they've stumbled a little bit. At the same time, can't they're down two games. They win game three, and it's a whole new series again. Yep. So, uh, game three Thursday in Florida. So a two day break between games. Panthers and Golden Knights. Vegas up two games to none. Coming up on Saturday, which just happens to be game four of the Stanley Cup Final. Logan and I will be down at Trail Appliances. Little special Saturday edition of Sportsnet today. We'll be there from 11 a.m. till 1 p.m. on Saturday. Trail Appliances, 6880 11th Street Southeast. We'll have some Flames alumni down there. Signing autographs, Uh, we've got a barbecue lunch, a pay-by-donation barbecue lunch with all the proceeds going to Brown Bagging for Calgary Kids, which is just this awesome initiative in Calgary where Brown Bagging is making sure that kids in school get lunch, and sometimes it's, it's a tough thing for for some families to make that happen every single day, especially in the 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 inflated economy that we're living in right now, brown bagging for Calgary kids that much more important. Uh, so that is an awesome initiative where all the proceeds are going to. You've got a chance to win a brand new barbecue valued at twenty two hundred dollars. So come on down Saturday starting at eleven a.m. We'll be at Trail Appliances, family owned and operated for forty eight years with barbecues in stock, including Canadian made Napoleon. For more details, visit sports. Net.ca slash 960.